1: Good afternoon and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. You know, it's hard to imagine that there could actually be a problem with being good. I mean, being good is good, right? But the problem is that it's a poor substitute for a true sense of worthiness. It is, in fact, based in a mythology that there is a standardized form of goodness that if we can activate it will somehow remove from us any sense of unworthiness. And so there are many of us identified as good guys who are giving up their authenticity in an attempt to compensate for a deep sense of unworthiness. In this case, our lives are run by guilt, and we do not know the difference between a motivation that comes from a should, a have to, or an ought to, and a true, authentic passion or compassion. This show is the second in a countdown to the launching of the book, Letting Go of Good, Dispel the Myth of Goodness to Find Your Genuine Self. So you want to be here for this important show about an epidemic problem and its breakthrough solution. So we talked a little bit uh, last time about in the first uh, segment of our countdown about what you know goodness is and goodness isn't. And what we concluded is that there is no standardized definition of goodness that can be used worldwide for every person on the planet, because what is good for one culture may be bad for another. What's good for one family, one religion, one social strata may be bad for another. We 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 have these ideas that everyone in the world believes that you shouldn't kill, for example. But there are many instances in which there are people out there who would say, yes, this is a time when you should kill someone. Um, so, you know, we don't have a standardized, oh, this means this is good and this is bad. Now, of course, we have laws, legal laws, that tell us, when we can kill, when we can speed, when we can't, all those kinds of things. So, you know, those are, we're not talking about those. Those are a separate whole conversation. What we're talking about is a concept, a social construct called goodness. And it's a social construct because we made it up. We thought, oh, well, this makes a person good and this makes a person bad. And we decided on that and there was a we that was had uh, um, certain parameters around that we because it was uh, maybe a certain family that thought that this was uh, what made goodness and that was what made badness. and but some other family thought something else made goodness and something else made badness. So what we tend to do in in general is just sort of live into, the ideas of goodness that our parents gave for us. Or if we identify with badness, I guess we would live into that. But uh, if, if we're, we're living from that sort of idea, nothing inherently wrong with that, but if that idea is also based in a construct that says that our worthiness is dependent on that, then we will identify with goodness in a way that makes us be compulsive about goodness. Um, and, and try to be always serving other people, always there for other people, always kind to other people, always, you know, never speaking up for ourselves, except maybe in some passive-aggressive ways. Um, you know, never saying no, except when, you know, it, it, we absolutely have no other alternative ever, ever, ever. Um, we we this, this idea of being a good guy is attached in our minds to a concept of worthiness. And so the first thing I want to do today is strip away that concept. Worthiness is not based in our behavior. Now, there's a lot of people out there that are going to tell you that I'm just really crazy to say such a thing. But our worthiness is not based in our behavior. Our worthiness is not based in our thoughts. Our worthiness is not based in our our actions, our thoughts, our emotions. It's not based in those things. It isn't something we can perform. Our worthiness simply is because we are here, period. We are worthy because we are here. Now, people get mad all the time and they'll say, you know, well, that guy, he's just worthless. I remember one time hearing somebody who had been, somebody had made fun of him for being bald and and it was a teenager who made fun of this man for being bald and he said, well, that teenager is just worthless. And I thought, really, he's worthless because he because he said you were bald. He called you Baldy. Uh, yeah, I don't think so. So we have ideas about what makes a person worthless and what makes a person worthy that are based in these social concepts, these social constructs about goodness and badness. So that guy who called the, my friend, you know, Baldy, was was worthless in his mind because. He just was no good. I mean, to be that insulting meant he couldn't be good. He wasn't a good person. And so that's how easily we attach goodness to the whole idea of worthiness. We just It's so easy for us to just go, oh, you're not good, you're not worthy. And uh, But worth is our value as a human being, and that is unfathomable. You know, and when you look at nature, which we can easily look at nature as sort of a a way of 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 looking at these concepts that we've made up and and comparing them to how nature might view that same concept. I mean, you don't see an oak tree in the forest comparing itself to a pine tree saying, "Man, I wish I had some of those pine cones. they are so cool. these stupid little acorns are dumb, and I just am so ashamed that I produce these acorns." No, they're not doing that. They just grow into who they are. And, uh, and we can do the same thing when we grow authentically. The problem is that we don't often grow authentically. We often grow into an identity that isn't who we are because we are not like nature in the sense that we also have the capacity, unlike nature, to put on a false mask and costume that is not who we are. We have the capacity to to pretend to be something we're not, to repress things that we don't want to know about ourselves, to push those into the unconscious so that we just can pretend them away, and to be something else entirely. We can actually pretend to be compassionate, for example, when, in fact, we're just doing something because we feel guilty if we don't, or because we feel obligated to do it, or because somebody said that that's a good thing to do to prove that you're worthy we we can do all kinds of things that we are doing to present an image but an image is not an authentic being it's just an image and I, I know that in the marketing world making an image is everything but it is not in the real world in fact it becomes nothing it is a big nothing we put over ourselves in order to make the authentic self invisible while we live out of it in a mask and costume that isn't who we are. And one of the mask and costumes we can live out of is the good guy identity. Um, and the good guy identity is somebody who believes that he must be good, that he must strive always to be good, that he must be about the business of doing the right thing and other people you know, by comparison, are very commonly judged to be doing the wrong thing. And uh, he will pick out certain criteria that that uh, define him as a good guy. And he will live into that criteria as if it is genuinely who he is. Now, he may have some real compassion and passion. He may have some true empathy. But... He's not living out of those. He's very commonly living out of shoulds, ought-tos, have-tos, and guilt. So let's talk for a minute about guilt now. There is a myth that says that guilt is a good thing. That if we can feel guilty, that means that at least we know what's right and wrong. That if we don't feel guilty, then we don't know what's right and wrong. Well, I'm here to tell you that we don't know what's right and wrong anyway. We may know what's harmful. We may know what's helpful. But right and wrong are social constructs that we made up. Okay? They are constructs that we made up, and we made them up because we wanted to contain our behaviors. We wanted to be able to control our behaviors. And so we said this, this behavior is a good behavior, and that behavior is a bad behavior. And we've done that for so long now that it's, that it's second nature. We don't, we don't have, uh, uh, it's difficult for us not to use the terms good and bad. It's difficult for us to not say that's good food and that's bad food or that's a good smell and that's a bad smell. We have, uh, we've divided everything up into our, in our lives into these constructs about what's good and what's bad. What we really mean is that's a pleasant smell or an unpleasant smell. Or that's uh, you know that food uh, has a has a a taste that I like, or that food does not have a taste that I like. That's what we really mean, but that's not what we say. We say it's good or it's bad, and that's just in terms of pleasantness or unpleasantness. That's not even in terms of morality. When it comes to morality, we we judge ourselves and other people based on these constructs that tell us about our worth. So if I'm good, then I'm worthy. And if I'm not good, I'm not worthy. And that's the way it is. And there's nobody that would even call that into question. It's just that's the way it is. And so we have come to believe that our worthiness is tied up in what we do. It's tied up in whether or not we are uh, doing the right thing. And therefore, guilt is a very useful tool to get us to do the right thing. Or at least that's what we think. I remember growing up. My, t- my my sister's my sister teasing me and saying what's the matter you got a guilty conscience you know <laughs> when something I uh, you know I would either the cry or fuss about something and and she would say you got a guilty conscience and what she meant was you know if you have a guilty conscience well that's that means that you've done something wrong and that's how we can define whether or not we've done something wrong because we've got a guilty conscience uh, so uh so we've grown up with this sort of connotation of guilt as a, a good thing, that it is something that we can use to help us know when we might be crossing over the edge to the dark side. And uh, if we don't have guilt, well, then we really are bad people because, you know, only bad people don't have guilt. And so we then can make our choices based on whether or not we feel guilty. And for the good guy identity, somebody who's identified with goodness as his form of worthiness, guilt becomes a primary motivator for his life. When when he is asked to do something, the question is not, do I want to do this? Is this my true compassion? Is this authentic for me to do? Those are not questions that are asked. The question is, do I have to do this? And guilt is going to give the answer. Yes, you have to do it, because if you don't, I'm going to make you feel really terrible later. So you have to do it. And so they live their lives out of these have-tos that says, you have to do this, because if you don't, you're going to feel really bad later. And so they do it. And uh, and and then they find themselves operating out of guilt, out of guilt, out of guilt, out of guilt, out of guilt. And that becomes such a rote way of living that they don't even question the guilt anymore. It's just, oh, do I feel guilty? Okay, I guess I have to do that. If I don't feel guilty, then I don't have to do it. But if I do feel guilty, and I probably do about just about everything, then I'm going to have to do it. So if I have plans on a Saturday to go to the farmer's market and pick up some vegetables and then go shopping to some other places and do some things that I really want and need to do for myself, and Somebody else calls me up and says, No, I need you to come over here and take care of this or that or the other for me. And uh, it kind of intimates that you know this is something that I really they really need for me to do. Then the guilt is going to start nagging me, and I'm there. Go- it's going to come up and it's going to say, You know, you have to do this. These people need you, they can't find any other way to do it. And in fact, what, gu- what guilt does is close down options what it does is it says there's no other option. It's either you do it or it's not going to get done. And, of course, that's very rarely true, that there's only two options in any given scenario. There's very commonly six, seven, or eight options. And one of those is that somebody else could do it or that it might not get done today but it'll get done tomorrow or that or that you could maybe pay somebody to do it or that there's, there's lots of options. But instead, for the guilted person, especially one who's a good guy identity, they're going to be thinking, either I do this or it's not going to get done. And if it doesn't get done, well, that's really, really bad. And that's going to make this person feel like I don't care. And I have to make sure that they know that I care because they are my responsibility. Okay, so now, let's talk about responsibility. Responsibility is the R word for the for the uh, person who's got a good guy identity. Responsibility means... That I'm responsible for you and your well-being. I'm responsible for your happiness. I'm responsible for whether or not you get mad or upset. I'm responsible for whether or not your feelings are hurt. I'm responsible for you. And and why am I responsible for you? Because you and I are friends or relatives. Period. Now, logically, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Okay, we can see that pretty logically, that just because you're my friend and my relative, that doesn't mean that I'm responsible for you. But for the good guy identity, there is this sense that if I'm in relationship with you, then I'm somehow responsible for how you feel about our relationship and how you feel in general. So the good guy identity will spend a lot of time worrying about whether or not he's going to hurt his friends' or relatives' feelings. And that's a myth. We can't hurt someone's feelings. Okay? Okay. I'm going to make that real clear again. We can't hurt someone's feelings. They may choose hurt as their response to what we do, but we are not reaching inside of them and hurting their feelings. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not responsible for what we do. We're still responsible for what we do. I'm responsible for what I say and how I say it, what I do and how I do it. But I'm not responsible for how you respond to what I say or how how I say it or what I do or how I do it. That's not up to me. That's up to you. So I say this to people all the time. You could come to me and you could say, Andrea, you're the worst person I've ever met. I hate your guts. I think you're a horrible person. I'm just, I don't want to ever see you again. Get out of my life. And I have several options for how I might receive that information. That, those options, and the choice to make them is on me. It's not on you. You may be responsible for what you said, but i'm responsible for how i receive it i could say well fine i don't want to be with you anymore anyway i don't like you very much and that's that i could say well i guess that's how how that is i can just detach from that i could say well this is really going to hurt me and i'm i'm now going to just go into heartbreak i could say well i'm really mad and you don't have any right to treat me that way and i'm going to have to get you back for that i could there's lots of options that i've got but for the for the good guy identity the good guy says no if you react in a, an anger or sorrow or hurt or any kind of painful reaction, it must be my fault. Now, I said that uh, you know harsh statement a minute ago deliberately because I wanted it to come across as deliberately harsh so I could say that I also still have a choice regardless of how harsh it is as to how I'm going to react. But I'm not recommending that we go around making harsh statements like that. I am, I am saying that the other person is responsible for how they respond to what we do. And for the good guy identity, it's very unlikely that they're going to make a harsh statement like that anyway because they would feel terribly guilty for even thinking those thoughts, much less saying them. So for the good guy, those kind of thoughts are just going to be try to be repressed. I don't, they don't want to know that they even have those kind of feelings, much less try to express them. But uh, I, I am saying that for the good guy... There is that responsibility. So they walk on eggshells around people all the time trying to make sure that they don't say or do anything that's going to upset anybody's apple cart. And that tension is uh, a very stressful kind of tension that can impact their mind, their body, their heart. Uh, It it really can have a very devastating effect on the body and mind. And uh, so... So, this good guy, who's just trying to be a good guy, is literally killing himself because he's trying so hard to be good because he believes that if he's not good, he must be bad, and if he's bad, he's not worthy. That's a problem. So you see, the good guy identity is not so good at for us after all. It could be in fact very bad for us and uh, and 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 so understanding that we don't need to be trying to be good we might might do better to try to be genuine now that might work a little better because there's a little st- less stress in being genuineness a little less stress on the body and the mind so so we're going we as we go through this series we're going to be talking more and more about how to be a genuine person how to be more genuine and to not live into the good guy identity uh, but we have to understand that there are some lies that we've been told about how we should live that aren't necessarily so, and we're going to be talking about those right after the break. So stay tuned for more right after this. It's your
0: world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com
2: How are you doing in your life? Do you control your life or does it control you? In our hectic, overconnected world, do you spend too much time feeling tired and wired? Tune in to Master Your Life with hosts Leah Mattinson and Dr. Howard Rankin for inspiration, insight and intelligence on how to gain control of yourself and your life. Along with some inspirational and knowledgeable guests, Leah and Howard will give you the tools needed to help you on your journey. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, Noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We all have unique experiences and outlooks when it comes to leadership and team building. Yet sometimes we clash, even when trying to achieve the exact same goals. Check out Unleash Your Inner Goldilocks, How to Get It Just Right. Your host is Dr. Cass Henry. A shared journey equals success. And every human interaction has the power to achieve this success by working together. Tune in every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Are you looking for life's answers? How about the meaning of true self? Can you really be a better person overnight? Well, good luck with that. Now, if you want to know more about this insane world and life we lead, tune in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. You'll learn about how the brain operates under different psychological conditions, some common sense. Heck, you might just actually learn something. Listen Fridays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment
0: Channel. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll-free, 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews.
1: Welcome back to the Authentic Living Show. And uh, before we go any further, I want to talk a little bit about what's coming up this Super Soul Sunday. It's a repeat, but it's a great repeat on Michael Pollan, Mindful Eating. He wrote Cooked, A Natural History of Transformation. He discusses the human food relationship, conscious eating, and spiritual and physical well-being. So there's definitely a relationship between our humanity and our food, and he wants to tell us all about it. So this Sunday, July 30th, 11 a.m. Eastern and Pacific on OWN. Stay tuned for that. So we're uh, we're talking today about letting go of good and dispelling the myth of goodness to find your genuine self. Uh, the book will be out August the eighth, uh, and uh, you can go online at Amazon.com and purchase it now. Uh, again, letting go of good, dispel the myth of goodness to find your genuine self. Um, it is the foreword is by Thomas Moore, which I was very excited about. You know, he's the best-selling author of uh, Care of the Soul. And several other books and also um, it w- is endorsed by people like Caroline Mice and, uh, and uh, Dr. Larry Dossi and others. And so uh, it's, a, it's a great book about how we can learn to live away from the idea of goodness and toward our genuine self. So uh, that's what we're talking about today. And we said we'd talk a little bit about some of the lies. We talked some about those last time about some of the lies that we've set up as bastions of truth that we believe to be absolute gospel with regard to how we should be performing as good people. But it turns out that they're absolutely false instead. And one of those is that love and trust are the same thing. There's a lot of people out there who believe that. And maybe maybe you're not one of those, but um, but there's a lot of people who say, if you love me, you'll trust me that they seem to go hand in hand, that you're supposed to just trust somebody if you love them. You're just supposed to trust them. That's just how it's supposed to be. And so they put a big should in front of the trust, that you should trust me. Uh, But trust is earned. Trust is earned. It is earned by a long-term behavior pattern of being being kind and uh, honest and forthright and authentic with other people. And if we have done that with other people, then they will trust us to continue to do that. On the other hand, if, they, if we have not done that with other people, then we should not be expecting that they should trust us to do that. So if we say one thing and do another, then we're not building trust. We're not earning trust. If we if we are uh, lie frequently, if we cheat, if we uh, blame other people for the things that we do instead of taking responsibility for what we do, Yeah, Those things aren't going to help us earn trust. On the other hand, if I'm that kind of person and I'm in a relationship with a good guy identity, the good guy identity might just think, well, I should trust them anyway because that's the kind thing to do. It's kind and loving to trust other people. It's not kind and loving to not trust other people, so I should just trust them anyway. I'm going to give them another chance and another and another and another because I should trust them. And what we do when we do that is we get ourselves deeper and deeper into really and potentially abusive relationships because we are, we are trying to be good people. And so, uh, uh, so for the first thing that has to happen with trust is we have to trust ourselves to be able to make good decisions about other people. And by good, I don't mean moral. I don't mean right. I mean true. And so that's what I should have said. I should have said true instead of good. Again, it's very hard for us not to not use that language. Um, when, when someone does not earn my trust, I need to decide not to trust that person. When someone does not earn my trust, I need to make the decision not to tr- trust that person. I don't need to make the decision that, oh, I should give them another chance. They have already shown me a piece of who they are. Um, and if that thing has been, a fit, what they showed me has been really offensive, abusive, or otherwise toxic for me, then I need to know that. I need to let myself know that and not try to talk myself out of it by feeling guilty and saying, oh, I'm just a bad person, I'm judging. We talked a little bit about that idea about judgment last time, um, and you can listen again to that show for that, But but... The idea is that if I'm looking at you for who you show yourself to be, then I'm somehow judging you, and that's false. That's absolutely false. I'm looking at you as who you show yourself to be. That's who you're being. That's who I can expect you to continue to be, because that's who you're being. What people are most likely to do is the thing that they've always done. So if someone is in a pattern of lying... Or blaming you for stuff that they do or not not taking responsibility for their own actions or any of those kinds of things, then what they're doing is showing you that this is what they do. This is what they do and that's what they're most likely to continue to do. So why should you trust them? We would put more examination into a $500, $500, $500 investment than we would put into whether or not we should trust this guy to continue to hurt or abuse us. We need to pay attention to that. So trust is earned. And we earn our own trust to the degree that we make good, sound, wise decisions about people's, about who we're going to people our lives with. Who is going to be able to come into my inner sanctum? My inner sanctum is the place that is most vulnerable. It is the place in me that I reveal the most to those people that are allowed into the inner sanctum. In other words, they get to know the real me, the real, raw, good, bad, and ugly me. They get to know the most vulnerable aspects of who I am. There are other people, on the other hand, who will not be allowed into the inner sanctum because they have not earned the right to come into the inner sanctum because it's too vulnerable for them. They're too scrappy, too mean, too sarcastic, too harsh, too critical, to uh, they don't tell the truth. There's something they're doing that makes me say, no, you're not going to come into the inner sanctum because that's not you haven't earned it. And they may be on another level of friendship. I may have them on another level of friendship where I can hang out with them and we can do some fun stuff together, but they're not coming into the inner sanctum because that's my private, personal, vulnerable space, and they're not coming in there. Why? Because I don't trust them to come in there because they haven't earned my trust. So you see, we have that right. But for the good guy identity, what the good guy says is, oh, no, 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 that's, that's harsh. That's really harsh to, to, to put somebody outside your most vulnerable place. I mean, how can you do that? That's not very kind. That's not very loving. That's not very sweet. Aren't we supposed to be sweet, kind, and loving all the time to everyone? Okay, so that's one of the ideas, the myths about goodness, that we're supposed to be sweet, kind, and loving to everyone all the time. But that's not honest. It's not authentic. It's not genuine. And so what we're doing is fooling ourselves in the name of being good so that we can prove to ourselves that we're worthy people. It's not working most of the time because we find ourselves getting hurt by these people who we invited into the inner sanctum and allowed them to hurt us. We allowed it. Why? Because we thought well, that would be a good thing to do. So this again, the concept of goodness gets in the way of authenticity. So trust is earned, and we earn our own trust to the degree that we make decisions about, uh, about what we're going to allow in our lives and what we're not going to allow in our lives. And if we make those good decisions over and over again, then we can trust ourselves to do that. If we don't make our, those those wise decisions over and over again, then we can't trust ourselves to do that. And that's the time to take ourselves to therapy and get some help learning how to build boundaries. Okay? So here's another idea. The idea that uh, uh, that we should be loyal to other people. We hear that term being thrown around a lot these days in the political realm, that we should be loyal to other people. Um, loyalty is a concept that works Pro- probably fairly well in the military, um, where if you're not loyal to the troop, you might have others killed. That you might do something on uh, in some kind of maverick way that would get other people in da- put other people in danger. So we we do need to be loyal in terms in, in the military. Uh, but beyond the military, loyalty is a construct that says you that that because we are friends you are supposed to act in certain ways toward me that prove to me that you're loyal to my friendship. So I've seen this happen in groups. Um, you have a friend and another friend, and they are coupled in a relationship, and one of them breaks up to, with the other one, and both of them want you to be loyal to them. And what they mean by that is you have to stay my friend, and you have to be do you know hang out with me, and you have to You know, and you can do that if you choose to. You can, if you want to be friends with both or either of those two people, you can do that. But the choice belongs to you. There's no should to it, there's no have to to it, there's no guilt to it. It's just a personal choice. Who do you want to be friends with? Who do you not want to be friends with? That's a personal choice, not a have to, not a loyalty issue. So, uh, uh, you know, parents may uh, believe that children should be loyal to the parents, you know, and, and when they are not, that means that they've betrayed the parents in some kind of way. And what they mean by that is you're supposed to live your life according to this, the, the idea that of what I have about your life. So for example, here's an extreme example. I am a doctor and I have a child who's, who I'm trying to raise to become a doctor like me because being a doctor is a good thing. And all of everybody else in my family has been doctors, and so you're going to be a doctor too. The only problem is, you don't want to be a doctor. You want to be a musician. And But I keep insisting that you should be loyal to me by being a doctor. That's, that's how you remain loyal to the family, by becoming what it is that I have designed for you. And so you will grow up feeling like you can't be yourself, that you must have to, ought to, prove that you love me by, by giving up your authenticity for my agenda for you. And people call that loyalty. It's not loyalty, that's a that's an agenda. Not only that, but the loyalty that, that is tied into that is, is a becomes a self-betrayal. Um, another idea that's a lie is doing your duty. That we're supposed to do our duty, and that, that comes with the construct that that goodness and duty are attached. You know, you do your duty. You do your what you're supposed to do. You just do it. You shut up about it and you just do it. You don't, you, there, there's just no other question about it to be raised. You just do what you're supposed to do. So, people go around doing what they're supposed to do. They get to their work on time and they, they pay their bills on time and they do those things that they're supposed to do. Of course, there's nothing wrong with paying your bills on time. There's nothing wrong with getting to work on time. But, what are you doing it from? What is the motivation behind it? Are you doing it because you love your job and you want to get to work on time? Or are you doing it because well, I hate this job. I hate what I do. I hate my life, but I got to do it. I got to I got to have money. Got to eat. So, I'm just going to try to get to work on time. That's duty. Duty is obligatory. Duty says you have to. Duty says you ought to. Duty says you should. But there's another way to live. And that way is coming from your authenticity, where you're not doing your duty, you're doing your authenticity. You're doing what's genuine in you to do. So if you find a job that you love and you go to work every day because you love your job, there may still be some days when you don't love as much as other days, but for the most part, you're doing what you love. And it's authentic. It's not doing your duty. And for the good guy identity, doing your duty generally means serving other people in some pretty major ways that uh, uh, have to do with um, proving my worth, proving the worth of the individual who's got the good guy identity, who says, if I do these good, kind, loving, supportive things for you, that proves that I'm a good person and uh, so I might do my duty and do my duty and do my duty and do my duty. But what begin may begin to happen over time, and I've used this example several times in the, on these shows, is that I may begin to build up some resentment. And we'll talk about resentment in a later show. But for right now, that resentment has come to tell me that, hey, you're doing a lot of stuff that's not even genuine for you to do. You're doing a lot of stuff that's duties, that has nothing to do with who you are as an authentic being, you haven't even stopped to ask yourself what your compassion is. You haven't even stopped to ask yourself where your passion is. You're not even thinking about what's true and what's false for you. You're thinking about what uh, what what actually can you can do that proves that you're worthy. Um, and that sense of worthiness is what you're living toward. You're, you're trying to prove that you're a good person, that you're a worthy, therefore, therefore a worthy person, uh, in order to uh, compensate for that deep-seated unworthiness that you feel. And where do we get unworthiness? We get unworthiness because we're not living into our authentic self. We know on some level that we're faking it. We know that we're doing the stuff that's not really real, and we understand that. And so it gives us this feeling that we're living into something false. And that feels unworthy. So we're perpetuating that state of unworthiness all the while trying to escape it by being good, by doing our duty, by doing the shoulds and the have-tos and the ought-tos. We have in our hearts, uh, already packaged in the package, enough compassion and passion to live rightly. What we're afraid of is that if we start just doing what we truly desire to do, we'll become these terribly selfish people and that we will then prove to ourselves that we actually are the unworthy people we think we are. And so we 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 try really hard to do our duty. We try really hard to always be doing the right thing. We try really hard to to do what guilt tells us to do. And all the while we're building a more and more falseness into our lives which makes us feel more and more unworthy. All the while we're trying everything we know to escape the unworthiness. And so you see it's a vicious trap. And uh, so we, we have to begin to trust that if we just settle into our truest desires, the compassion that is genuine will come and it will lead us to do things that are genuinely giving to other people. Not duty giving, genuinely giving. So that other people richly receive that gift as a real gift from the heart not some fake gift that they know we're doing just because we have to. So it's important for us to understand that duty is a lie. Compassion and passion, those are real things. All right, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, love and what that is all about right after the break. So we'll be back in just a few minutes.
0: It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com
2: What's your purpose on the planet? Are you ready to make jumps to pursue your passions? We often make excuses, but it commonly leads back to fear. Sharing our stories provides an opportunity to learn lessons and leverage pearls of wisdom that we gain on life's journey. We'll help you push through the fears that hold you back from empowering you to experience pure love and live your life's purpose. Tune in to the Beth Bell Radio Show Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific time, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Should there be more to your life? Do you need a change? Join her on Tuesdays at 12 noon Pacific time and 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and a replay Fridays at 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Women's Channel.
1: The human body has different levels of interaction and communications, both at an energetic and informational level. Understand the healing potential and the intelligence hidden within these communications when you tune in to Human Potential and Life Force with Dr. Sun. Are health conditions preventing you from achieving effective potential? Can Life Force, also known as Chi, help your quality of life, relationships, and creativity? Find the answers every Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.
0: Change your world, change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll-free, 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send your questions or comments by email to andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews.
1: Okay, we're back, and uh, I said we would talk a little bit about love and what that means because there's an idea out there that's also one of those things that's been held up as a bastion of truth that turns out to be a lie. It says that we should always love them unconditionally. So for the first thing I want to say about that is anytime you put the word should in front of the word love, it ceases to be love and becomes duty. Love is unconditional because it comes from the soul. It comes from the authentic self. It comes from who you are as a genuine being. It does not come from a should. You can't should yourself into loving someone. You can should yourself into doing for someone. You can should yourself into serving someone, but you can't should yourself into genuinely loving someone. It's not possible. So when we have this idea that we should always love people unconditionally, what that means is that we are really going to have to end up tolerating a lot of conditions <laughs> uh, to test us about whether or not we actually love that other person. Um, and And... So, so let's talk about unconditional love. There is a baseline in which we all already love each other unconditionally. There is a a way in which we are uh, connected to each other that we can't miss. This part is the spiritual part of that. We are one with each other. We are deeply united with each other That uh, in a way that cannot be denied. Um Now, we can go into denial about that. We can pretend it doesn't exist, but we can't really um, detach. We can't really sever that bond between us. It's genuine. It's real. It's never going away. It's always there. So on that level, we always do love each other unconditionally. We are one with each other. We're united with each other. We understand each other. We, We do that. On the other hand... We can live out of a whole other identity that says, "I hate you. I don't want to be around you." And, I, and you know, we can treat each other really badly. Obviously, so uh, so so the idea that um, we can we should love each other unconditionally comes from the idea that we have the capacity to treat treat each other really badly. Therefore, we should try to love them unconditionally. Now, what that means is that I'm going to put in place of my so-called bad feelings some really good feelings that are going to make me feel better and make me know that I'm a better person. So what happens when we try to do that, when we actually put that kind of activity in our minds is we say, I'm going to make myself love you. I'm going to be kind and loving to you. I'm going to think positive thoughts about you. I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be loving to you. why? Because that makes me a good person, and um, therefore I'm going to do that. And what we're doing when we do that is we're repressing all those so-called negative feelings that say that I don't maybe trust you. I don't uh, enjoy your company so much because you're hard to be around or because you're malicious or conniving or c- critical or abusive in some way to me, then therefore, I'm just going to pretend to myself that I don't have those feelings. Those are negative feelings. I don't want those feelings. I want only positive feelings because that makes me a good person. Therefore, I'm going to repress all the negative feelings. Now, where do they go when we repress them? They go into the unconscious. They go into the unconscious where... They are where well, well, they sit there with their energy, and they bounce around with their energy until they find a place to escape, and then they come out in some other way. Very commonly for the good guy identity, what this means is that they come out in some passive aggressive ways. So I might say something sarcastic to you, um, but then when I when you call me on it, I'll say, "Oh, it's just kidding." Really, I was releasing some of that old quote-unquote negative material, and uh, but I don't want you to know it, and I don't want me to know it, because I'm trying to be a good person. So I get passive-aggressive, and it comes out in these little compulsive, uh, unconscious ways, and I get you back in some kind of way, or I let you know that I don't like what you've done, or something like that. Because without ever having to take responsibility for it because I don't want to be responsible for quote-unquote negative feelings because they make me into a bad person and I don't want to be a bad person because if I'm a bad person, I'm an unworthy person. So you see how this gets all convoluted and and we're denying that we're actually treating someone badly through passive-aggressive actions while we pretend to ourselves that we're really good people who are being loving all the time. And so then we split off from parts of ourselves and put some of us in the unconscious and some of us in the conscious world. And that whole thing about repression is a really big deal when it comes to trying to be a good person. I'm trying so hard to be good that I'm going to repress anything in me that I conceive of as bad, and therefore it's going to go into the unconscious where it's going to sit, but bounce around and wait for some opportunity to express because it has an energy all its own, and it's going to find a way to express as I give it a channel to express through. And I might not know that I've given it a channel to express through, but I will be giving it a channel to express through at some point, because the psyche can't hold the wall up forever. It doesn't. It's not meant to be. It's not meant to be that way. The psyche is not meant to hide material from us. It's we're, we're supposed to be united in wholeness, with all aspects of ourselves integrated. So, uh, so that that stuff is going to come out, and the whole point is, it comes out so that we can get to know it. So that we can say, oh, you know, I really, you know, I really do find your company difficult because you are critical, or you are abusive, or you are hurtful to me in some ways. I, I really don't want to be in your company very often. And maybe what I need to do is instead of trying to repress that and tell myself that I should love you anyway, uh, and try to be loving and kind and sweet and nice all the time, when what I should do is put up some boundaries that would help me to uh, not have to be in a toxic environment. And also give that gives you an opportunity to grow as well, especially if uh, you can't put your toxicity on me, perhaps then you have to look at it yourself. So that idea that we should love unconditionally is false. If you put should in front of the word love, it ceases to be love and becomes duty. So, unconditional love is something that comes from within, from the soul, from the genuine self. And if we love someone unconditionally, it will be there. And ultimately, when we are uh, living much more genuinely, we can tell the difference between real unconditional love that we have for somebody and the shoulds and ought tos and have tos that try to make us, that guilt us into trying to love somebody and be kind to them, even though. Uh, They are toxic for us. Uh, I should forgive them. That's another one. Again, if you stick the word should in front of the word forgive, it ceases to be forgiveness and starts to become an obligation. So forgiveness is a process. It's a very deep process. It is not something we can just do. I know that you've heard some people out there, some teachers out there say to you that all you have to do is say I forgive you twice or three times or or you just have to keep affirming that you've forgiven somebody and you will forgive them. But I find that that's absolutely false. What I find to be true is that that's a form of repression. That You're saying to yourself, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you, while you're repressing all the so-called negative feelings. And therefore, you're not really dealing with the issues at all. You're not really processing the issues because there's no trust that the inner world has a process of its own. And that's one of the concepts that I really want to put forth in this book is that the inner world has a process all its own and it is about the business daily of trying to get us to greater and greater senses of wholeness. It is trying to get us to awaken to who we are. It is trying to get us to become conscious of who we are. It is trying to get us to awaken to our own wholeness, the integration of all aspects of who we are. So we don't have to hide things from ourselves. We don't have to pocket them in the unconscious and say I don't want to know that about me. We don't have to do that. We can bring that so-called negative material up into the conscious and work with it. And 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 allow it its expression because it has something to say to us. And generally speaking, what it's trying to say to us is that we love ourselves. What it's trying to say to us is that we love ourselves enough to take really good care of ourselves. I love myself enough to get really angry when my boundaries are violated. Excuse me. I love myself enough to, to know that if I continue to tolerate the intolerable from you and accept the unacceptable from you, then I'm going to continue to be abused. I love myself enough to say Uh, to allow myself the process of forgiveness instead of trying to push myself to forgive. So the process of forgiveness is the process of grief. They are the same exact thing. The only difference is, in one, one I may be grieving a loss, in the other, I'm grieving an offense. So, uh, you've offended me in some kind of way, you've hurt me, you've harmed me in some kind of way, And then what I do is if I'm trying to be a good guy identity, what I do is I try to tell you that it's okay, I forgive you. And what I'm doing is inviting you back into my life to do it to me again. Um, Because you've done it, you've you've already harmed me again, there's no guarantee you're not going to do it again. And I have not even asked myself whether or not you're going to do it again. I've just said to myself that I should forgive you because that's the good thing to do. So we put ourselves in harm's way that way. But forgiveness is not something we do. Forgiveness does us. Forgiveness is not something we do. Forgiveness does us. Forgiveness is that process of grief that has its own river. And we cannot push that river. So people come to me all the time and say they're, they're, they're grieving and they're, and they're really hurting. And they say, when is this going to be over? <laughs> And my response to that is, I don't know when it's over. You know, it's a process. It has its own timing. It has its own rhythm. It has its own pace. It has its own truth. And it, and it carries us. We don't carry it. It carries us. So, you know, you're, you've had a few good days. You're not grieving today. You're not um, really angry or really sad or really bargaining with the idea of the sorrow that somebody has offended you. And then something comes up during the day that reminds you of that offense, and you get mad all over again. And you say to yourself, I shouldn't be mad. That's a bad feeling. It's a negative feeling. I should forgive. No, that's not how real true grief works. Real true grief that is real true forgiveness works like this Oh, I'm mad. Let me look at that madness. Let me sit with my anger. And let me hear how it's telling me that it loves me. Let me sit with my anger and let me hear how it's telling me that it loves me. And as I do that, I begin to take in the anger as a way of saying, I love me so much that I'm not going to tolerate this in the future. Or I love me so much that I've got to take really good care of myself today because I'm so angry. And so therefore I'm going to nurture myself today in some really loving ways. That's how, we, that's how we walk through forgiveness and allow it to have its process. We don't try to push that river. We allow it its process, and it becomes uh, uh, a, a real important aspect of our growth experience. So that we transform as a part of that experience. And that's what forgiveness is all about, not a should. So we've talked today a little bit about this whole idea about identity, and and how to, how to be a person that is ju- a genuine person rather than trying to live into some concept of goodness. And we're going to be talking about that again next week, so you're going to be here for that as well. And Remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself.
0: Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll talk again next week.